I'm Shanna Hutchison, dietitian, blogger, and mama, born and raised in the heart of the Midwest. I believe that wellness goes way beyond what we eat and that our body size does not determine our worth. I am passionate about showing other women how to live a life they truly love, one that feels purposeful, that helps them feel their best physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that being a mom can be one of the best things you ever do without it becoming your entire identity. This is a place you can come to hear vulnerable and interesting conversations about health and wellness, motherhood, entrepreneurship, and more. If you want to find freedom with food, learn how to improve your overall well-being, and stop waiting for a number on the scale to start living your best life and go after your goals, then you're in the right place. I'm so excited to learn and grow together. This is the Wellness for the Win podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wellness for the Win podcast. I am very excited for today's episode, and I'm pretty sure you guys are too, because I put a question box up specifically about this topic, and I got literally flooded with questions. So today I have Michael Vandekamp talking all things, periods, menstrual cycles, all the things. You know, we're going to get really into it today. So very excited to go over this topic, and let's just go ahead and, and get started and have you first tell us a little bit about yourself who you are, what you do, and how you got into this area of nutrition specifically. Yeah. So like you said, my name is Michael Vandekamp. I am a registered dietitian, and I specifically work with women who are struggling with their periods um, or who are trying to prepare for pregnancy. And the way I kind of got into what I'm doing is I grew up for a good portion of my life struggling with health problems. I had gut problems that I thought for a long time were normal. And then when I started my period, I had really horrible periods. Like I would miss school all the time because I felt so ill. I felt nauseous. I felt just horrible. Like I'd be curled up in a ball. And for the longest time, I thought that was normal. I dealt with it all throughout college. And I started like getting to a point where I was like, this cannot be, (laughs) I cannot feel this way all the time. I can't be missing work. I can't be missing school. Like this just can't be happening. And so I started getting really, um, I started reading a lot and researching a lot into functional nutrition and how a lot of what you eat in your lifestyle can significantly impact your periods. And I was just blown away with all of the, you know, all of the education that I found and learned because it's nothing that we learn about growing up. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's all, it's like all important stuff that we should learn about. And because you know, I got to a point to where now I don't always know when I like, I know when I'm going to start my period, but I used to always know because I would be like doubled over in pain Mm -hmm. a week before I started. And so now it's like none of that. And so it just was very mind opening to me. And I was like, I need to help other women with this because Mm -hmm. it's possible. And it's something that needs to be talked about. Absolutely. So true. And I think it's become so normalized. Yes. You know, everyone always talks about PMS symptoms and yeah. just like feeling like death, you know, leading up to your period. And so people think that it's normal, but just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. So exactly. yes, I, I'm excited to, to touch on this because I think hopefully we'll touch on a lot of things that will really be actionable that people can start doing today or tomorrow <laughs> immediately <Yeah. laughs> um, to hopefully reduce their, their own symptoms as well. Um, and I think it can be as a woman, I think it can be very empowering to learn about your cycles and understand your body. And like you said, even if you're not necessarily trying to conceive, you know, we all still have periods and we Mm -hmm. need to know, you know, and understand what exactly is going on and why and how we can impact it through nutrition and other lifestyle behaviors and habits and stuff too. Let's kind of start with the basics of the menstrual cycle. So kind of walking us through the different phases and what exactly, you know, without getting too (laughs) sciencey, you know, you don't have to go through, you know, every single detail, but just kind of walking us through the different phases of our cycles and what is going on there. Yeah, for sure. And so a normal menstrual cycle is generally around 25 to 35 days. So obviously that's going to depend a lot on the person. Um, But there's three phases. So you have the follicular phase, you have ovulation, and then you have the luteal phase. And so during the follicular phase, that's the beginning of your cycle. And that is when you start your period. So you've started your period. So the first part of the follicular phase, you're on your period. And Estrogen and progesterone are at the lowest that it's going to be for the majority of your cycle. And so then once you end your period, your estrogen will slowly start ticking up and getting higher. And that's important because estrogen causes your uterine lining to thicken in preparation for possibly pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And then it also triggers that cervical mucus. And so, and that will be important when we talk about fertility awareness method, but, Mm -hmm. and that is all gearing up for ovulation. And so then that ticks into 
ovulation, you have that follicle that releases the egg. And then ovulation is like a short, but such a powerful thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so only about 24 hours and it happens and then it's done. But the amazing thing is that the follicle that releases the egg then turns into a gland. So it turns into the corpus luteum and that then will start to produce progesterone. And progesterone is really important because it's needed in order to get pregnant. So if you think of progestation, progesterone, mm. um, and then it also increases your metabolism. So it stimulates your thyroid. And that's why also during the luteal phase, you'll see that your temperatures increase and your temperatures mm. will remain high if you are pregnant and progesterone will remain high. If you're not pregnant, then progesterone will start to decrease and then your period will start again and the cycle starts all over again. Hmm. Cool. It's it's just like cool to listen <laughs> to it again because I'm like, gosh, I learned this at one point, but you know, it's been quite a while since I've reviewed the the cycle phases. So and that's just so interesting to to hear you go through it because again, even if you're not trying to get pregnant, that's what our body is doing. You know, yeah. it's like going through that process to hypothetically help us with pregnancy. So it's just kind of, it's just a wild process. Our bodies are truly incredible. Um, so, yes. okay. So that's helpful. And I liked what you said, pro gestation for yeah. progesterone. That's a helpful little uh, tidbit there. So a lot of the questions that came in were regarding birth control because, you know, a lot of people are on birth control before they do want to try to conceive. So, and of course, birth control is a little bit of a controversial topic these days, yeah. but there is, you know, again, it's, it's just something that a lot of people use. And so would you mind touching on a little bit of like pros and cons of birth control? I think there's a lot of stuff out there these days that is making people like fear birth control and feel mm -hmm. like, you know, they shouldn't be on it. It's really bad for them. Um, are there any kinds that are quote unquote better for you than others? You know, of course, there's the, the pill versus IUD, things like that. So do you want to touch on that a little bit? Sure. So with birth control, so any hormonal birth control is going to have they're all going to have pretty much the same effect on the body, right? So a lot of them are stopping ovulation. And that's, that's not the most natural thing. Our bodies are meant to ovulate so that we have that progesterone being produced. Right. And so that's definitely a con that comes from that because then what happens is women will be on birth control for a decent amount of time. And then they come off because generally around that time they want to get pregnant mm -hmm. and their body has to basically relearn how to, how to ovulate and the hormones have to readjust because there was synthetic hormones that were going on. And yeah. so, um, so that's definitely a con, you know, as far as like, it can change your gut microbiome, it can cause nutrient deficiencies, so those are more of the things that I would just be, be cautious of if you're going to take, you know, some people that's the option, you know, fertility awareness method is it's something that some people just aren't interested in learning and that's okay. And so, you know, my advice would be though, is if you were going to be on birth control, then to still support your body. So you want to mm -hmm. support your gut health. You want to make sure that you are taking a really solid prenatal to replenish those nutrients. And then you also want to make sure that you're pooping every day and that mm -hmm. you're having good, um, detoxification throughout your body. Yeah. And so I'm not talking about a detox clan, but like actually like, right. Yeah. So, right. Yes. That can be a little bit of a tangent here, but I think people hear the word detox and they think juice cleanse, yeah. or like, you know, crazy <laughs> supplements and stuff, but our bodies have like built in detoxification systems. Right. However, we have to support those, you know, mm -hmm. those processes naturally through the nutrients that we take in and things like that. So, you know, those don't just like run on their own super efficiently. I mean, they, they are really powerful and they can do a lot by themselves, but we can also support them a lot better than we sometimes do. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. yes, like you said, you know, having daily bowel movements, ideally, those are good, good things to kind of watch out for. And so if you haven't listened to my gut health episode, that might be a helpful one for you guys to refer back to as well. Okay. So that's helpful just to kind of touch on some of the, the cons there. And of course, obviously the pro would be if you're not ready to to be pregnant and you want to prevent pregnancy, then then that is an okay option. Before we get into fertility awareness method, because I do think that's going to be extremely helpful. You know, aside from those who are on birth control, who are either maybe not having cycles because of their birth control or whatever the case may be, there are some people who, in the absence of birth control, are still not having periods. So can you touch on some conditions that may cause the absence of a period? What can contribute to that and how they can maybe address it and fix it? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, if, if your period isn't happening, like a lot of people would look at that as being like, oh, I did something I don't have to worry about. But that's mm -hmm. like, 
a really big red flag. Yeah. And so I always tell, tell people that I work with, I'm like, your period is, it's telling you something. And so if you're having symptoms or if it's not there, it's telling you that something's going on in your body. And so what is it telling you? And so if your period isn't there, you're, you're not ovulating. Mm-hmm. And then, so why would that be happening? So that could be related to hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. It could be related to thyroid problems. It could be related to celiac disease. It could be related to PCOS or endometriosis. And then it could also be related to under eating or over exercising or just stress in general. So like if you've gone through like a very stressful time in your life, it's not uncommon for your body to kind of like sip, skip a cycle to skip a period because your body doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, it can also do that if you're under eating or over exercising. And that can also be 100% unintentional. Right. And so if that is going on, you know, I would definitely say it's time to start digging into why that's going on and not, mm-hmm. and not waiting until like, okay, I'm ready to try having a baby and something, something's not right. Right. So. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's just an important thing to point out because like you said, a lot of people would be like, woohoo, no period. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that. I'm saving money on tampons. But yeah, it's it's definitely an important sign of health for women. Like it's important to be consistently having a monthly cycle. So yes, definitely if you are having or even having very irregular cycles, that was something right. that I wanted to ask you about as well. What can people do if their cycles are just totally irregular and what would be possibly causing that? And are there nutritional things that can help with that as well? So irregular cycles are generally it's related, I feel like to stress or to like PCOS or thyroid problems again. Okay. And so you kind of have kind of that like overlap with a completely missing period or irregular cycles, mm-hmm. but there is some type of hormonal imbalance and like with PCOS, generally it's related to um, blood sugar imbalance. Mm-hmm. And so insulin has such a big impact on our hormones and sort of cortisol, which cortisol is our stress hormone and then insulin impacts our blood sugar. And so if you have imbalances in either of those, you're going to see that trickle down to your progesterone and estrogen and your other hormones like testosterone. And then generally that can cause irregular periods. And so making sure that blood sugar levels are pretty balanced and having balanced meals, and then also just starting to dig, because I mean, sometimes if it's a thyroid problem and your thyroid is underactive, then just getting on medication can help with that. Mm -hmm. And so really digging in and trying to see like, is this, is this thyroid problem? Is it, you know, related to something else going on like PCOS? And so starting to figure out what could exactly be going on. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. And what about, so I know at the beginning, I think you said normal or average length of cycles is 25 to 35 days. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So would it be considered still regular if someone were to have, let's say a 25 day cycle, and then the next one is a 35 day cycle. Those are still considered normal, but even if they're like that different for the same individual, or would that be considered pretty irregular? So a lot of that just, so it's some, some of it comes down to the person obviously, but generally with your cycle, it's not abnormal for it to vary. And so for it to change a little bit, but when you're going, you know, 25 days and then you're going like, let's say 40 days or something like that's not regular. And my other question would be too, like, are you still ovulating? Mm -hmm. Like is ovulation still present or are you skipping periods? Like what's going on? And so seeing like, if then progesterone is also still strong and at a good value, or if that's just not, not where it should be. And so, yeah, periods are kind of, once you get into that with the irregular, it gets a little bit more difficult, but generally that 25 to 35 days, that's where we want to see it. And if things start getting like where it starts getting longer that you're going, you know, in between cycles, then that would be where I would kind of raise a red flag and see like, what's going on. Did you have a stressful event and it's continuously stressful? Like you started, this big project at work and it's just continued to cause a lot of stress in your life or is there something else going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think stress and sleep are two things that people do not think about enough or, you know, I think we are so quick to like cut out. I, like I saw your post about gluten. It's like, oh, I'm going to go gluten-free. I'm going to go dairy-free. Like all these things we like jump to 
doing elimination diets when it's like, okay, what about your stress levels? Like, where's your stress at? And a lot of times there's a lot of stress present and then they try to do elimination diets and add so much more stress to their plate. Um, So yeah, I think that's helpful to just have a reminder that stress plays a huge role in this whole equation. Um, So definitely something to think about. And obviously some level of stress is going to be inevitable in our lives, but chronically stressed all the time, it's going to become an issue. Okay, quick break to talk about the prenatals that I've been taking and loving for years. Full Well Fertility, formerly known as Full Circle Prenatal. These are formulated by a fellow registered dietitian who is passionate about women's health and wanted to create a supplement that was evidence-based, effective, and high quality. They didn't cut any corners with these prenatals. They use third-party independent testing for harmful contaminants such as heavy metals on every single batch produced. And these supplements provide optimal doses and bioavailable forms of nutrients to support women before, during, and after pregnancy. I can honestly say I've never felt nauseous from taking these and I feel really good about all the research that Ayla has done to create such an incredible product. If you're in the market for prenatals, you can use my affiliate code wellness for the win to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, back to the show. Um, Okay, let's just go ahead and jump into fertility awareness method because I'm very curious about it. And um, as someone who is now postpartum and I was on birth control for a very long time prior to my miscarriage and then before my full term pregnancy with Rhett. So after having him, I didn't really have a desire to get back on it. I'm just like, I'm at the point in my life where I'd rather not. Um, And so I'm definitely curious and interested in learning about this method. And I think a lot of women will be as well, because I I think birth control has just been so normal in the past where it's like, you know, just the easy solution. It's like, oh, duh, well, I'm just going to birth control and that's what I'm going to do. I don't think people realize that there's an alternative um, that is, I guess, you know, more quote unquote natural if, if you want to go that route. So let's just kind of dive into what that is, you know, how we can get started with it. And are there any like specific resources that you like or recommend if someone were to, to start with trying to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So the fertility awareness method. So one thing I will start off by saying is it's definitely a learning process. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people will start. And that's why sometimes people have negative thoughts about it is they'll start it and they initially think, okay, I've got it. Like I'm good. And then they'll end up getting pregnant. (laughs) It takes, it takes a learning process. And so I always preface (laughs) noted by that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it takes, um, there's three parts to it. And so there's the basal body temperature, there's cervical mucus tracking, and then there's also the cervix position. The cervix position is the one that is the most difficult to learn because you're, you're learning based off of touch. And Mm -hmm. so, um, that one, I usually kind of save for more advanced, but usually the first two do a they're a really great job at predicting ovulation. And so with basal body temperature, you are checking your temperature every morning. Like you're still laying in bed. You use a thermometer that has two points decimal and you're checking, you're checking your temperature every morning. And so one thing I will also say is you want to have the thermometer in your mouth for at least five minutes before actually checking your temperature Wow! because it can cause a false reading. It can be lower than you think. Okay. And so, um, basal body temperature, you'll check it and then you record how your temperature is doing. And so generally what happens is during the follicular phase, your temperature stays pretty steady and is a bit lower. And then once you ovulate, your temperature jumps up. And so, because like I said, progesterone um, stimulates a thyroid and that stimulates your metabolism Mm -hmm. and that causes a temperature increase. And so your temperature will then remain high and it will remain high and then it'll drop down right before you start your period. Okay. And so if it remains high the whole time, that means, that means you're pregnant. So, okay. <laughs> um, and, yeah. And, um, <laughs> cervical mucus tracking. So this, your cervical mucus is changing all throughout your cycle. So mm-hmm. you'll notice that you have like more dry, dry days where you're not having very much fluid come out. And you'll notice that based off of like what's on your underwear. Mm-hmm. And then, um, leading up to ovulation, you have fertile mucus that is produced. And that's really important because it helps sperm to be able to live in order to be able to, um, fertilize the egg. Mm-hmm. And so it will change to that almost egg white consistency. And it's like, it's really slippery. That's the best way I can describe it. It's yeah. really slippery. And so, um, so that's tracking that because it changes, it goes from, you know, dry to creamy, to more of that slippery egg white, 
mm-hmm. and then to creamy and then to try. And so with that, you can kind of validate, okay, with where my temperatures were at, I for sure did ovulate. And so now I know within this window, this is my fertile window. And I know mm-hmm. to either abstain or to use other types of protection during that time. Yeah. Or try <laughs> if that's what you're wanting yes. to do. Or try. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> that did make me think of a question as well. So I know you mentioned you ovulate for 24 hours ish, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how remind me how long the actual window is that you could potentially get pregnant? Because isn't there like several days though that it could yes. like live? Yeah, right. And so usually that fertile mucus happens like a few days before you actually ovulate. Okay. And so sperm can live in you for about about three to five days. It just kind of depends. Okay. Um, but generally the fertile window is usually around once again, three to five days. It just kind of depends on the person. Gotcha. But once you see that egg white fertile mucus, then that's usually when you're going to be fertile. Gotcha. Okay. That's helpful. So in as far as the fertility awareness method with the tracking and everything, are there specific apps or anything that you like for tracking the temperatures and stuff? Yeah. And so there's actually a few really good ones. So there's ones that are more expensive. So like, like Daisy's a really good one. That one's more expensive, more high tech. It comes with an app and, um, it does a really great job, but then there's also a few on Amazon that connects with an app. And I believe it's like thermometer and, Oh, I can't remember what the other one is called. There's another one that's really good on there and I can send it to you after we get off the call, but, um, they connect to apps. And one thing I'll say is that there are a few thermometers out on the market right now that will just give you like a green light or like a red light. Mm. And I don't really, I don't really like those because it's not teaching you what you're what you're supposed to be yeah. learning. Yeah. And so you're not really getting to see what your temperature is doing. And you know, the right. amazing thing too, about tracking your temperature and it actually showing you what your temperature is, is if your temperature is trending low, that can show that you have a sluggish thyroid or that you might have a thyroid problem. And Mm -hmm. so it can, it can kind of give you some good answers just on your overall health also. And so. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Okay. That's good to know. So yeah, once, once I have all those apps and everything, I will put them in the show notes for you guys, if you're interested in looking any of those up. Um, okay. So let's kind of go back to periods and PMS. So like we talked about before, PMS has been very normalized, but severe cramping and headaches, you know, migraine levels and like crazy mood swings, depression, that kind of stuff. You know, I think a lot of women experience these really severe Mm -hmm. symptoms. Um, so what would you say, you know, what level of symptoms is considered normal and what's abnormal that would signal, you know, maybe I need to go see my physician. Um, and what can we do nutritionally or again, with other lifestyle habits to help reduce the severity of these symptoms? Yeah. So anything that's really impacting your life, like if you're missing out on things or if you're planning around your period or before your period, because you're experiencing those PMS symptoms, I would say is not normal. Obviously some people are going to have some light cramping because your uterus is going to be contracting a little bit, but when it's so bad to where you're having to like change plans or when you're scared that you're going to start and you're going to have heavy bleeding or something like that, like that's not, that's not normal. And so that would be a time when I would say it's definitely time to reach out to your doctor or physician or to find someone who can help you. Um, you know, try and figure out what's going on because that's, that's not normal. And so, mm-hmm. but when it comes to PMS, there's definitely a lot of things nutritionally and lifestyle that you can do. And so nutritionally, one of the big things that I like to talk about is blood sugar balance because, and it seems like such an easy thing, but it does just have the biggest impact on your body. Because mm-hmm. if you're having huge blood sugar swings that can cause a lot of inflammation in your body. And your body's already gearing up to release prostaglandins, which is what causes your uterus to contract. And if there's additional inflammation, it can cause it to be that much worse. And so trying to reduce that additional inflammation, wherever that may be coming from, whether it's from those blood sugar swings, whether it's from maybe the past month, you've drank a lot more alcohol than you normally would, or Mm -hmm. stress can be a really big trigger as well. Um, A lot of us don't realize how we carry stress and then Mm -hmm. it significantly can impact your periods. And then also like the amount of fiber you eat, choosing more anti-inflammatory foods. So like those colorful fruits and vegetables, healthy fats, because your body needs fat in order to be able to produce progesterone. 
And if your progesterone is dropping too low too soon, that can cause more severe PMS symptoms. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of different things that can kind of play in there, but definitely I like to always first start with blood sugar balance because that's where a lot of people will notice when they're not hungry all the time. And two, their mood will usually kind of stables out because when your blood sugar drops lower, like you just, you don't feel good. And a lot of people don't mm-hmm. realize that that's, it's your blood sugar. So yeah. Um, right. And that's a stress and and they all kind of play together. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think so, like you said, it seems like a basic thing, but as dietitians, you know, we oftentimes, we, we know how to, you know, support balanced blood sugar and how to explain that to people. But can you kind of explain what maybe a balanced plate looks like that would help support balanced blood sugar just in case, you know, people want more details of what that looks like or examples of like healthy fats and stuff like that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And so with a hormone healthy plate, I generally like to see at least 20 to 30 grams of protein. Most of us think we're getting that and we generally are not. And so, um, I have to check myself on it all the time. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a constantly going to be a work in progress, but 20 to 30 grams of protein on the plate. And then, um, the other part of the plate, high fiber carbohydrates. And so that could be like sweet potatoes, regular potatoes. It could be brown rice. It could be more of those starchy vegetables, like a winter squash or something of that sort. But you want to make sure it has that fiber because a lot of us are also lacking that fiber and fiber also Mm -hmm. helps with blood sugar balance as well. And then a good portion of your plate coming from vegetables. And so I always say the more colorful, the better. And so just trying to get, you know, and then also stuff you like, I'm not one that's like big on telling people to eat things they don't like. Um, and so if you enjoy specifically broccoli, like that's great, eat broccoli. If you enjoy, Mm -hmm. you know, cauliflower or spinach or something of that sort, you know, try adding those in whenever you can and then healthy fats. I always think it's really important to have a little bit of healthy fats with all of your meals. And that can come from, um, it can come from grass fed butter, olive oil, avocado oil. Um, those are all really great options. And then like olives, um, avocado, and then also like you'll get some from like salmon and fish, those omega-3s. And so Absolutely. that's generally kind of where, where I like to start with. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. And those are all, including those in a way that is enjoyable to you, I think is key. You know, we're on the same page with that for sure. And, you know, you don't have to force yourself to eat all these crazy wild things that you may see on Instagram. It's like, you know, stick with the basics, think about what you like, aim for variety if possible. You know, variety is always good because you're going to get a wider variety of nutrients that way. But definitely, yeah, those are some great basic tips that people can can implement. And I love that you touched on the protein piece as well because I agree. I feel like it used to be that everyone thought that they were eating like way too much protein. And of course, you know, if you're taking like multiple protein shakes a day or something, you're probably yeah. getting quite <laughs> quite enough. Um, but, you know, when people are having just normal meals, I find that a lot when working with clients as well, that people are not getting enough protein, right. um, especially a lot of women mm-hmm. that I talk to. So it does require being intentional and strategic about, okay, where's my protein going to come from? So that's a good good thing to just be aware of. Okay, taking a quick break to tell you about one of my favorite snacks. If you're a busy mom like me, you probably eat random snacks while rushing from one thing to the next more often than you'd like. And if you're looking for an option that tastes delicious and actually provides some protein and keeps you full for a while, I highly recommend Aloha Bars. They have so many yummy flavors and no joke, I eat them all the time. Like my purse and car door are overflowing with wrappers. It's embarrassing. But anyway, all of the flavors that involve chocolate are my favorite. So especially peanut butter cup and chocolate chip cookie dough. They even have minis for those times when you need just a little something to hold you over. Another thing I love about these bars is that they're gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and vegan. So they're a really great option for anyone who has food allergies or certain dietary restrictions. You can use my discount code wellness for the win for 15% off or use the affiliate link in the show notes to save. I hope you guys love them as much as I do. Okay, let's get back to the show. Okay, so actually, while we're talking about a little bit of PMS stuff, what are your tips on hormonal acne? Do you have any things that you can kind of speak on as far as are there ways we can prevent that? Um, you know, anything specific that causes it in specific individuals or, you know, what, what can we do to reduce that? So hormonal acne is usually related to your androgen. So like testosterone 
And so generally that has a lot to do once again with blood sugar balance. Um, and also just making sure that gut health is, is where it should be, because if your gut is not balanced appropriately, or if you have like some type of imbalance, then that can cause more skin issues. And so those two in combination can then cause more of that hormonal acne. And then also to just making sure that you're washing things and looking at what, what you're eating as well, because sometimes you know, before your period or when you're on your period, you might be craving more of those, of those carb foods, especially if you're not going to be eat, if you're not getting enough protein. And, um, then that can also cause more of the flare ups as well. And so just because you're going to be yeah. having more of those blood sugar swings and when you have more of that insulin produced, it can increase the amount of testosterone that's being produced, which can then cause that hormonal acne. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So blood sugar balance is blood the, sugar balance. <laughs> yeah, the focus of the day, you know, and I think it's like you said, it, it seems like a basic thing, but it is so important and so impactful and it can be simple once you just figure out that equation, you know, and how to try to balance that plate each time that you're eating, always making sure there's some color there, always making sure there's some protein and fat, you know, it, it's possible to do it, but yes, it does require some level of planning sometimes. <laughs> yes, it um, does take planning. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So when it comes to postpartum, I got a ton of questions about that as well. You know, a lot of women commented that their periods were way different postpartum. So I heard it was kind of half and half. I should have done like a poll as far as heavy versus lighter. Um, but a lot of people said it was way heavier postpartum. And and I know too, I should have also polled with, you know, okay, was that because you were on birth control prior to pregnancy? You know, that kind of stuff as well, because of yeah. course that can impact it too. But just as my personal perspective to offer, what you may not expect is I, like I said, I was on birth control for a long time. Then I had my miscarriage and then my pregnancy and my periods have actually been really pretty light postpartum. So I, I was prepared for the worst because people were like, <laughs> oh my God, periods are terrible after you have a baby. But that hasn't been the case for me. So I'm curious, you know, I'm sure, of course, it's totally individual, but are there any specific factors that can impact that? Does breastfeeding affect that at all? Or how does, how does that all work? So yeah, that one's a tough one because a lot of it is going to vary on the person. And, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes too, especially if someone was on birth control for a long period of time before getting pregnant and they maybe weren't off birth control for very long and they were able to get pregnant early on after mm -hmm. they might not, their periods might not have been able to fully regulate. And so it might still be a learning process for them. So what they thought was their period when they were on birth control it's technically not a period because you're not ovulating. It's, it's just, it's going to be different. And so, um, and then after just postpartum in general, periods are just, they just vary so drastically. Like if mm -hmm. you're breastfeeding for some women, they'll go without a period for however long they're breastfeeding until they start weaning. Mm -hmm. Some will literally, by the time they go in for their checkup, their period has already started again. Yeah. And so it just, and, and like for me, like after my first pregnancy, like I, I breastfed for, for a decent time. And I didn't get my period back until six months at postpartum. Mm -hmm. And then when I had my daughter, I was expecting it was going to be the same way. And I went in for my doctor's visit and I had already started my period again. Wow. And yeah. so it just, it just varies so drastically, but, mm -hmm. um, from person to person. So as far as like exactly why I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> so different. Yeah. It, that's the million dollar question. I think that's, you know, so many people are wondering, you know, what determines when it comes back and, mm -hmm. and of course how heavy it is, how regular it is. I do think that over time it begins to regulate, you know, I, yeah. I shared my personal periods, you know, cycles postpartum have gotten closer to normal length each time uh, or each month. But, um, yeah, I'm sure it's just so different for yeah. everyone. And uh, one thing I will say too, is if, if postpartum, if you're noticing that your periods keep getting lighter and lighter and lighter, get your thyroid checked because most women postpartum should be getting their thyroid checked anyways, because you're at such a higher likelihood after pregnancy for hypothyroidism. Yeah. Um, and then also make sure you're eating enough because, you know, being a new mom or even just being a mom again, life is busy. And usually you're putting yourself last. So you're not, you might not be, you might just be shoving some snacks in your, in your mouth, or you might be like eating whatever was left over on your kid's plate and yep. thinking that's enough. And if you're not getting what you need, then that can also show with, with, with lighter periods. Okay. That's a, that's good to know. Cause I've heard a lot of people speak on that, you know, how thyroid can be thrown off during and after yes. pregnancy. 
And is that because of, you know, just women being so depleted postpartum and like you said, not getting adequate nutrients or, you know, what's the biggest cause for that shift in thyroid at that time? So, you know, I don't, I don't exactly know. I think it's a combination of hormones and then the stress, just the pregnancy in general, and then like possibly nutrient depletion as well. Mm -hmm. And so it can kind of be a perfect storm. Also before some women could possibly be on that, like borderline hypothyroidism and then pregnancy just kind of kicks it kicks Mm -hmm. into there. And so I'm, I'm always really cautious about that because sometimes um, women will then be ready to start trying for a second pregnancy and they might be having difficulty. And then it turns out that it's because their thyroid isn't, isn't doing what it should be doing. And if your Mm -hmm. thyroid is is sluggish or more in that hypothyroidism, it's going to be really hard to get pregnant. So that's good to know. Do you typically recommend getting more in-depth thyroid labs beyond like TSH or yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Usually TSH, free T3, free T4, and then antibodies and then reverse T3. And so okay. I like to do a full thyroid panel just because sometimes TSH can look 100% fine, but then, you know, T4 or T3 can be off and that can cause problems in itself. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Um, Something you mentioned a few minutes ago that made me remember, I wanted to ask you because several women ask this as well is, okay, what if you have been on birth control for a long time and you get off of it and, you know, is there anything that you can do to support your body during that transition? Like how to regulate things, you know, your hormones and everything coming off, or would it be, you know, kind of the blood sugar balance again or anything else specific that would be helpful when coming off of birth control after a long period of time? Yeah. So it'd be really similar to what I said when we were talking about being on birth control on how to support your body. And so Mm -hmm. going ahead and starting taking a prenatal vitamin, really any women who are at the age that could possibly get pregnant, I I really recommend to do a, a prenatal vitamin. Most of us are not getting the amount of nutrients that we need. And then that way you're building up stores right in your body. So that then by the time you get there, it's not like, Oh, I'm pregnant. Now I need to start taking a prenatal, but then you might already be depleted in things. And so then it's like trying to catch up, but it can't Mm -hmm. because then all of your nutrition is going to, to the baby for sure. Yep. Yep. And so, um, but yeah, a good prenatal supporting your gut health and then also, um, liver health. And like, we kind of touched on those detoxification, making sure that you are pooping, getting enough water Mm -hmm. and then blood sugar balance for sure. Yeah. Okay. And what about, and also just to plug another one of my episodes and another uh, resource for you guys, I spoke with Ayla of Full Well Fertility about her incredible prenatal that she developed. So definitely listen to that as well. And I can link my affiliate link for that as well, because it is an incredible supplement and I feel really good about taking it. Very good quality, all the things. Um, Okay. Another question that I thought was really interesting um, that I wanted to have you touch on was someone asked if it's, if people can get more dizzy at certain points of their, in their cycle, like, is it because blood sugar is more easily affected at any point in the cycle? And if so, when would that possibly be? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And so I would be interested because I've heard of like people getting dizzy because they have like such bad cramping, like to where they pass out, which mm-hmm. is 100% not normal. Right. Um, but yeah. <laughs> you, know, you should be going and seeing a doctor if you're having that problem. Yeah. But there are different, during different parts of your cycle, your body is more like carb dependent because mm-hmm. like during the follicular phase and ovulation, your body's using up so much more energy in order to be able to get to that ovulation. Mm-hmm. And then once you get into your luteal phase, you become almost like carb resistant. I don't really like using that. Like your body just becomes a little bit more insulin resistant during that time. And so it could be that, you know, that person's maybe having big swings in their blood sugar levels. It could be, maybe they're not drinking enough water. And then it's a combination of, you know, blood sugar swings. It could also be, they're not getting enough electrolytes. I feel like there's a lot of different things that could Mm -hmm. impact that. But if you're continuously getting dizzy and like, passing out, then you for sure need to like see a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Um, so speaking of mineral drinks, I think those are a big thing right now. A lot of people are talking about mineral mocktails, all this kind of stuff. Is that something that you use, recommend, talk about with clients? You know, what are your thoughts on those? Yeah. So I love them. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I love them. I mean, because if you think of minerals, like they're really involved in pretty much every process in the body and like 
zinc is like zinc is really big for ovulation. And then you also have, you know, sodium is really important just for a lot of other different things like stomach acid and then um, magnesium. A lot of us significantly burn through magnesium and then we just don't get enough magnesium from our food sources just because it's been depleted in the soil. Mm -hmm. And so um, in order for us to have proper hydration, you have to have some electrolytes. And so with the mocktails, I really love it just because you know, like if you think of like the more generic type of like sports drinks, they generally don't have enough of the sodium or the chloride or magnesium to really mm-hmm. make a huge difference. For sure. So, and then a lot of times they're a lot higher in sugar. And so yeah. I, I really do like them and I use them with my clients and I've seen a lot of great things from them. So awesome. Do you have any favorite brands or anything that you use? I feel like I've seen Jigsaw a lot. Yes. So I do use Jigsaw. I like that one. Or I just make, I just make my own too. I mean, sometimes I do that, which is, it's just basically coconut water, orange juice and Celtic sea salt. And it tastes, Mm. it tastes really good. But then, yeah, I will use the Jigsaw adrenal cocktail. Um, I like to mix it with something because it does kind of have a little bit of a different taste for some people. It doesn't bother me as much. I feel like it bothers my my husband more. (laughs) Um, But yeah. always pickier. (laughs) I know. And so I, I, yeah, I can just power through it, but he's like, I need something mixed in with it. (laughs) But they're really great. And honestly, like people who struggle with low energy in the afternoon and feeling like they need to have like coffee or they have like really intense cravings in the afternoon. It's really great because I feel like it, it really helps with that. And so yeah, I really love them. I love that you touch on that. I talk to so many people who are, first of all, not drinking nearly enough water, period, right. but also relying on that afternoon caffeine or just experiencing like that afternoon slump that mm-hmm. I think is is very common. You know, f- for most of us, many of us, we're sitting at a freaking computer all day yeah. just staring at a screen. Yes. So it's like, no wonder we feel like blah by 2 p.m. So I oftentimes encourage people to go outside, get some fresh air, get some movement, drink yes. some water. You know, those things I think can be very, very helpful. But I think there's a variety of factors that can contribute to that afternoon slump. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any thoughts as far as like caffeine goes or any tips on on that? Um, yeah. So caffeine, it can either be, re- it can be okay or it can be really not okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like some people, because I do, I love coffee. I love the taste of it. And it can be really great. Like just having a cup in the morning. Like, I think that's, that's fine. The problem is, is when it's like becomes like, all right, well, I'll have a cup in mid morning too. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll have one also in the afternoon. Yeah. And so, because with caffeine, especially if you're having a surplus of it, that's causes cortisol to increase, which once again is your stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And so that can have a really big impact on your periods. And it can just also have a really big impact on how you feel. It can impact your sleep. It can impact, you know, the energy. It's funny because I've had a few clients who I'm like, let's take a break from, let's just take a break and see how you feel. And like, at first you, you know, coming off caffeine, it's not fun. Like it's just, yeah. it's not fun. Yeah. But then once you get past that hump, it's wild to me how many are like, I actually have more energy yeah. than I did when I was drinking the amount of caffeine I was. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's because that cortisol is causing like all of that, you know, imbalance and you're not going to feel good. And then it just makes you want to drink more because you don't feel well. Yeah. So yeah, it can be, I think it can be great and obviously in moderation, Mm -hmm. but when you start getting into like having it consistently throughout the day, or when you're having ones that are like really high in sugar and like you're having them consistently, then that can cause some issues in itself too. Right. For sure. Yes. I agree with that. I think there's just like, like you said, a cup of coffee in the morning, it's like a comforting thing. It's just like such a, it's such a routine thing for people, but it's also a source of comfort for many. So it's like, I don't want anyone to feel like they can't or shouldn't have coffee, but I do think that a lot of people have a dependency on coffee or caffeine and they just go to coffee first thing before checking in and saying, okay, what else might feel good for my body right now? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And coffee in itself also, like, cause I will have numerous people be like, oh, well, my breakfast is, is my coffee. Yep. I'm like, that is not breakfast. <laughs> yeah. It's not breakfast. And yeah. so, you know, that's another problem I have with it is I'm like, I, I think it's great, but you got to have it with a meal. Like you can't just have it by itself and call that your breakfast or lunch yeah. or whatever. That is not a meal. So <laughs> yes, yes. I hear that so, so often. So that makes me want to ask you, and talk about a little bit. I know this isn't something we plan to talk about, but 
it just, I think it's relevant because so many people do that, you know, drink mm-hmm. coffee for breakfast or skip breakfast altogether and have yeah. nothing until noon or something. Um, of course, you know, maybe they're intermittent fasting or just truly not hungry in the morning. What are your thoughts on skipping breakfast? Do you pretty much recommend to most of your clients to eat breakfast? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So breakfast is a really big one for It's a really big one for me. Um, because if you're waking up and you're not hungry in the morning, that's like a really big red flag to me. Like that tells me, okay, something's going on with your, with your metabolism. Like you should wake up and you should be ready to eat something like ready to break that fast from overnight. Mm-hmm. But if that's not happening, then that's just, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like, has this just become more of a habit and now your metabolism has kind of adjusted, but you know, the, the problem with that is then so many people get used to that. Right. And then it's like, I start seeing how much they're eating and so forth. And they might be having a hard time getting pregnant or their period has gone missing. And it's like, well, you're, you're not getting enough throughout the day. And that mm-hmm. very well could be attributing to, to why, because now you have all these different things that are going on and hormones that are being impacted and you're not getting the nutrition you need. And so right. now in turn, this is what's happening. And it's not a lot of the times it's not intentional, but I just feel like a lot of us don't realize how big of an impact it can have, especially on women who are going to be wanting to try and conceive, mm-hmm. you know, soon. And so I, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's usually if someone's skipping breakfast with me, that's usually one of the first things we work on. I'm like, all right, we're going to start eating breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Break, like I'll have people be like, well, I don't like breakfast foods. And I'm like, breakfast does not have to be breakfast. Yeah. Food. Right. You just eat what you want, what sounds good to you. For you sure. can have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You could have the leftovers you had from dinner the night before. Yeah. I don't care. I just want you eating something. Yeah. And so Absolutely. that's, yeah, it doesn't have to be the traditional breakfast, but just mm-hmm. something starting your morning out with that protein, um, good amount of protein, some good carbs and some healthy fats. Like you're less likely to have intense cravings later on mm-hmm. in the evening. Yep. You're less likely to have that afternoon slump. And, you know, blood sugar levels are going to stay more stable throughout the day. Absolutely. Preach. (laughs) Like, gosh, I just, I feel very passionate about that as well. And I, I've seen that with clients too, that they're like, wow, I don't feel like I'm craving stuff later on when I start the day with a balanced breakfast. Like it truly is so impactful. And I think oftentimes, you know, of course, weight loss is a common goal that we see, right? And oftentimes I think people are just like, oh, well, that's an easy meal to skip. So I'm just going to cut that out. And we're oftentimes just thinking of food in terms of calories, but we're not thinking of nutrients, you know, vitamins and minerals and fiber, you know, all the antioxidants, all the stuff that we've talked about that we can get from food that we're lacking if we're only eating once or twice a day, right? Right. Um, So that's, that's a huge important thing that hopefully everyone will listen to. Yeah, I hope. (laughs) Yes, I hope so too. If you are looking for cute, affordable, and functional bags for all the things, you have to check out Vore. They have everything from duffel bags for travel, gym bags, backpacks, tote bags, accessories like crossbody bags, and more. They also have an active fanny pack that I actually use every day on my walks. It's the perfect size to fit your phone in so you don't have to carry it while you walk or bike or whatever activity you love to do. Their Alana duffel is my favorite as well. It has an exterior pocket that converts to a luggage sleeve, so it slides right over the handle of your rolling suitcase, making it perfect for airport travel. It also has a padded laptop sleeve inside, along with several other zipper pockets and compartments. They also have an Alana mini duffel that is smaller but equally functional and would make a great work bag for nurses, teachers, or mamas who need to pack their pump parts for work. They have tons of products to choose from, and all of them are so cute and, like I said, very affordable. Just head to their website at vore.com to check it all out and use my affiliate code Wellness for the Win to save. I'll leave my affiliate code and link for you in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. What about, okay, and I don't know if this is something you feel like is in your wheelhouse at all, but there were several questions about tampons versus pads versus period cups, period underwear, all (laughs) the crazy things that are out there these days. So are there any like thoughts on what is best? Does it matter? Is it just personal preference? Um, And also someone did ask too, is it normal for tampons to feel like uncomfortable postpartum, which I was like, "Mm, I feel like that could possibly be a thing, but any thoughts on, on period cups versus, you know, all the other normal, I guess, more traditional things. (laughs) I do feel like it's probably more personal preference. You know, one thing I will say that I do educate clients on is just 
to be cautious of what you're putting in your body because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I know right now, like organic ones are like more of a, a bigger, like ordeal or whatever, but, um, and I do prefer to use organic tampons just because like cotton can be bleached and there's all these other like, like pesticides and stuff. And so you just don't want to be putting that in your body because that can cause inflammation as well. And I've heard from numerous people that from switching over that they noticed that like cramping decrease, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, as far as which one's better, I feel like that would be a lot based off of preference. So whatever you're comfortable using. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm definitely curious about the period cups, but also scared of them. So I personally have not tried it. I haven't either. Because I am also, I'm like really nervous about, and I don't know why, like I feel usually I'm like one who I'm like, Oh, we're trying it. Like, let's do it. (laughs) But like, for whatever reason, like that one, just like, it like, I don't know. It just freaks me out. <laughs> I agree. I know it brings me back to when I was like, I don't know. I don't remember how old I was when I started my period, maybe like 12 or 13 or something. It reminds me of one of my good friends, like coaching me through the door, how to insert a tampon. <laughs> so I need like one of my, one of my friends who uses a period cup to do the to same, coach like you through. Be outside yeah. the door. <laughs> I know there's like YouTube videos on like how you fold it to like Okay. To like insert it. But yeah, no, I haven't gone down. I haven't gone down that route. I know I have have worked with a lot of clients who use them and who love them and swear by them. But for whatever reason, I just have not gone down. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm sure I'm sure it's a learning curve, but one of those things that, you know, if it works for you, then great. I will say that it they are nice because you really do get to see how much fluid you're losing. And so then you can really tell like do I have a light period or do I really mm-hmm. actually have a heavy period? And so yeah. I would say that that's like the nice part about it, but yeah, definitely a learning curve with that. So for sure. And that reminded me too, as far as like flow goes, you know, light versus heavy periods, what is considered, I guess, again, I know everything's individual, but what's like a concerning amount of like heaviness, you know, like yeah. going through however many tampons per hour or whatever, what would indicate that that's concerning and what can we do to help with that? So if you're having to wear like a super or like the, the extra super, and you're going through that within like an hour or two hours, like that's too fast. That's too heavy. And so that would be a concern. And the same with, with regular periods, if you're going through them so, so frequently, and then you switch to like a super and you're still going through that really fast, like within an hour or two hours, like you're heavy, you got to go see your doctor because something might be going on. And obviously some of that can like, if you're postpartum, sometimes your, your periods might be really heavy afterwards. And so there's like some leeway there, but as far as like, if you're, periods generally are, are, are normal, but your flow is like really heavy and like, it doesn't really let up and it's consistently heavy. Then I would say that you probably need to go see a doctor because there, there's probably something going on Okay, or just to figure out why, why that could be happening. So for sure. Yeah. And beyond super heavy periods being a pain in the butt for people to deal with, you know, I do sometimes see people with like low iron levels because their periods are so mm-hmm. severe as well. So that's something to also note. Don't just like continue to brush it under the rug and be like, well, this is my life. You know, right. I have extremely heavy periods. You know, there may be yeah. other things going on, like you said, um, or stuff that you haven't thought of that needs to be addressed for sure. Yeah. Did we touch on period cramps or is there anything in particular that we can do to help reduce cramping or? Yeah. So, um, antioxidants are a really big one. So making sure that you're eating more of those anti-inflammatory foods. So lots of berries and greens, and then also making sure you're getting a good source of fiber, lots of water, because sometimes I feel like, like just that basic thing can be missing and that can significantly help. Mm-hmm. And then also just checking how you're doing with caffeine and alcohol mm-hmm. too, because all of those can be pretty big triggers for cramping. And um, so checking in with yourself and seeing like, oh, did I, did I have a lot more to drink the other night? Or, you know, have I been living off of caffeine for the past month? For sure. Because all of those are going to have a really big impact on, on cramping. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. What about, so someone, a fellow dietitian asked how to get you know, kind of specialize in this area of nutrition. Do you mind speaking on that a little bit? Or um, I know you kind of touched on, you did a lot of research because of your own personal issues of periods and stuff, but any specific certifications or anything that are out there that you like? So there are certifications. There's also, to be honest, I've just 
for many years. So I had, I finished my internship and then I was pretty much a stay at home mom for a while. And so in order to keep my mind occupied at times or whenever I had free time, I wanted to research. And I read, I read a lot of books and, um, I read oh one of the book that I did want to talk about for fertility awareness method. Um, Lisa Hendrickson, The Fifth Vital Sign yes. is a phenomenal book to read. Okay. And she also has a workshop for fertility awareness method. And she has like her own like graphing paper and worksheets. And they're they're really great. And so if you are interested in the fertility awareness method, I definitely recommend um looking into her stuff because she just she explains everything so well and so easily. And so and then cool. she also, too, I think has a podcast where she talks about it a lot. Oh, nice. Awesome. So, cool. I will link all that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Because um, I think that'll be great for people who want to dive into that. And because it does sound like it's a little bit intensive in some yeah. aspects, but <laughs> I'm sure, again, once you learn how to do it, it's not too bad. Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of it was a lot of just like research on my on my own part. I did do um, a few programs. Like I did Kaylee's Leveraging Labs program, which I highly recommend if anybody is like interested in learning more about like the Dutch hormone test or mm-hmm. just regular labs. I think she does a really, a really phenomenal program. And so that's what I did. And yeah. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that we missed that you wanted to be sure to touch on? And I feel like we covered a lot of good ground. So any other final thoughts? I am going to ask you some rapid fire questions okay. in a second. <laughs> I'm nervous. Um, <laughs> um, I think just the end thing that I really do want to touch on, just because I can't stress it enough, is that just please make sure you're eating enough. <laughs> yes. I mean, especially if you are looking to to become pregnant you know, soon or that's that's in your future you know, 1200 calories is not enough. And I've just seen way too many clients who are struggling with their periods and, and struggling with ovulation and like living off of like a thousand or 1200 calories. And it's just, it's, it's not enough. And that's not Mm -hmm. enough for fertility. And I can assure you my kids eat way more than that. So Mm -hmm. it's it's just not enough. Yes. And sure. You know, make sure that you're properly fueling your body with, with nutritious foods that that will help you because you don't want to be kind of like setting yourself up for failure. Right. Exactly. Like you said, building up those nutrient stores before pregnancy, if that's what you're wanting to do, can be so impactful, especially if and when you're in the first trimester and you're (laughs) dying from nausea and all the things (laughs) um, can really help uh, set you up later on. Um, Okay. Awesome. I agree with that. Make sure you're eating enough. Take care of your body. It is an incredible machine, you know, just from talking through the cycles again, you know, it's just amazing what they're doing for us every day that we just take for granted. Okay. So some rapid fire. Are you ready? No. <laughs> it's nothing, nothing crazy or scary. It's just like fun things. So um, it's actually asking some of your favorite things. So oh, first, okay. yes. What's your favorite food? Oh, dark chocolate. Ooh, good one. <laughs> with With peanut butter or no? <laughs> Um, I like with nuts in it. So it could be hazelnuts, it could be salted peanuts. Also, Mm. if it's salted, it makes it that much better. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about, what's your favorite book? Ooh, I like Atomic Habits. Oh, tell me more. So it's all about like developing habits and how to have like habit. It's, It's a really interesting book because it's not like how you would think you would establish habits. Mm-hmm. It's like more of an inspirational book, but it's really okay. amazing. I feel like everyone should read it. It was like, mm-hmm. kind of like blew my mind. So cool. Okay. Like a personal de- development kind of. Book. Oh, and okay. if you're a dietitian, you get CEUs from it too. So <gasps> really? Oh, yeah. wow. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> I will add that to my list then. Yes. I can always use those. <laughs> um, okay. What is your favorite Instagram account right now? Any accounts that you're loving? Ooh. That could be totally unrelated to nutrition. <laughs> I feel like the only people I follow follow our nutrition. Yeah. Um, I feel like I always love like what Kaylee posts or nutrition by Robin, what Robin mm-hmm. posts. I think they're so great. And yeah, um, I've learned a lot from them. And then I do also like Laura Schoenfeld's her Instagram. Okay, cool. I'll have to look them fun. up. And I do know Robin and Kaylee RD. Is that it? I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can give them a little shout out in the show notes too. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about, do you have any favorite podcasts that you listen to? Ooh. Um, so I like the functional nutrition. So it's F-U-N-K functional nutrition. Oh, funny. Um, <laughs> she has a really great podcast. Um, and then lastly, what is your favorite vacation spot? Ooh, I really love Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. So it's Ooh. like right next to Seaside. 
It's like not in Seaside, yes. but it's like right next. And I love it. Oh, and I'm kind of sad because we're not, right now. we're not going this year. Aww, man. But, yeah, we're not, but, um, but I love it. It's just, it's so nice. But I feel like every time we go, it's always right around, like we leave like a day before a hurricane sitting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yikes. Yeah. Close calls. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's That's close, funny. but it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Worth it. If the weather is nice <laughs> while you're there. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, lastly, where can people find you? Tell people, you know, your Instagram account, any, can they work with you one-on-one, you know, tell us all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you can find me, um, I have a website, so it's nutritionwithmichael.com. And then I also post a lot of information on Instagram and my Instagram ha- handle is at nutrition underscore with underscore Michael. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> it's a mouthful when you say it out loud, but <laughs> it's a mouthful when you say it out loud. I was like, thinking, like I'm like, why did I do that? But, um, but it is there. And yeah. I, I, I do post a lot of information on there. And then I do accept clients one-on-one. I do a clarity calls and they're free just to kind of make sure that one, I can help you and I feel comfortable helping mm-hmm. you. And then that too, that just that we would mesh well together and that our goals would, would kind of be around the same. And so um, but I do take clients one-on-one and um, generally it's for four months around there. And then sometimes okay. it'll, it'll go on to longer, but I do more like like packages of extended time, but yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, great. I will, again, I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes so you guys can find her. This was super helpful. I really appreciate your time and expertise. And again, I think this is just a very important topic for people to learn about and be aware of and how they can really get better in tune with their bodies and also just take care of our bodies, you know, every single day. It's just so important. And um, so, yes, thank you again so much for your time. And I hope everyone enjoys this episode. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some tips or wisdom that you can apply to boost your health and happiness starting today. If you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review to help other women like you find my show and get inspired to start living a life they love. Also, take a quick screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at wellness for the win so I can see why you love today's show. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.